two and two and one. Oh, shucks, I can't dance. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Open Gov, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro, and today I'll be doing a complete and spicy reading of the Crystal Var vision paper titled Next Generation Digital Government Architecture, version 1.0b and dated March 2020. Now, for those of you who don't know, Crystal Var is the chief technology officer for the government of Estonia, and his vision paper is often cited as a benchmark for what government as a platform is all about. So without further ado, here I go. Abstract. The following is a vision paper, a tentative document on proposals contained herein for debate, discussion, and further research and development. This paper is intended for digital government leaders, IT development teams, managers, architects, and engineers therein and other interested public servants as well as private sector partners and academia. The core objective of this paper is to establish a common understanding of concepts and principles with the goal of these principles to become the foundational layer for next-generation government technology architecture. While this paper focuses on the digital government stack of the Republic of Estonia, the issues within this paper likely apply to any modern digital government stack, in part or whole, as an aspiration. While this paper focuses primarily on software and solutions architecture layers of government technology, it also addresses data and business architecture dependencies. The main topics of this paper focus on hypothesis of national-scale implementation of domain-driven design and business process modeling, event-driven microservice architecture, intelligent virtual assistant, and the concept of bureaucrat contained within Estonia's National Artificial Intelligence Strategy for 2019-2021 to and realization of the vision published in paper Krat AI, the next stage of digital public services in e-Estonia. Note that local term bureaucrat and international term Krat AI refers to the same concept and is used interchangeably. This paper is structured in a way that first lays out an example of the vision, then the proposed technology big picture supporting the realization of that vision, and then diving deep into three key areas that make up the proposed whole. Background information is provided for each layer. Multiple existing concepts that this paper is relying on are only explained at a high level. More thorough materials are available for these topics for further research and recommended material is linked herein. This paper uses the following terms that benefit from explanation. Administration sector is a semi-autonomous government organization primarily encapsulated by responsibilities, structure, and domain expertise of a single ministry such as health or environment. IT Development Team is a semi-autonomous IT and digital service and development providing team or organization 
that supports an administration sector building any kind of digital services. In Estonia, less IT-dependent administration sectors share IT development teams, usually consolidated under a separate organization with other sectors. Business stakeholder and technical stakeholder are abstract terms encapsulating multiple roles. Business stakeholder may mean business, service, product, owner, manager, leader. Technical stakeholder may mean technical architect, engineer, analyst, or leader. User, citizen, and resident are used interchangeably in this document as the end user and primary benefactor of a well-functioning digital government. While a citizen is a citizen of the country, resident, including e-resident, is the extended set of users of government services and user can also mean government official. It is critical to keep in mind that the majority of concepts in this paper are not for software engineers to implement alone, nor indeed possible to implement alone. It is important that business stakeholders understand technical details at a high level and technical stakeholders understand the business processes and requirements in cooperation. It is important to establish shared language and common understanding of said concepts so we are able to make the desired impact. Multiple hypotheses in this paper require further research and study for feasibility of implementation on national and international scale. Academia is encouraged to pick up various listed topics. Proposed topics and research areas are listed at the end of the document. As Estonia is one of the global pioneers for open solutions of government technology, an international sharing of digital government lessons and ideas and in Estonia is partnering with international IT development teams, this paper is first-hand published in English for accessibility reasons to enable international discussion, feedback, debate, and cooperation with existing new partners. About the author. At the time of publication of this paper, Crystal Var is the Government Chief Technology Officer for the Republic of Estonia, working at the government's CIO office. He has worked as a software engineer since the year 2000 in various fields, including interactive media and computer games, advertising technology solutions, financial technology and banking solutions, and government IT and architecture. He has worked as a lead engineer, team lead enterprise architect, as well as an expert consultant in aforementioned fields. He has a computer science degree with a thesis related to a government military simulation project. Contributors Multiple contributors have helped in the creation of this paper and have given thorough feedback. Most notable contributors are listed below. Sim Sikut is the core enabler and chief investor in the ideas presented in this paper and his feedback from early drafts is implemented thoroughly across this document. Martin Kavats is the originator of the bureaucrat idea and many of the concepts laid out in this paper are the result of multiple technical and business brainstorming meetings 
and resulting homework within. Pateri Kevamaki, Uno Walner, Ilya Levinson, Kuldar As, Livy Karpistensko, and Mart Aro contributed with further ideas and recommended polish contributed with further ideas and recommended polish, some of which are directly implemented into this paper. 1.0. The Problem In 2017, Wired Magazine called Estonia the most advanced digital society in the world. With the exponentially increasing adoption of technology in all areas, not just the government, and the emergence of new tools and IT-enabled and supported devices, and services that barely existed or did not exist even 10 years ago, being the most advanced digital society today is not good enough anymore. It is important to be the most advanced digital society in the world tomorrow. Without smart reformation in how government designs, builds, and deploys their services, Estonia will fall behind. Success of digital Estonia and digital government since regained independence in 1991 is threefold. Wide-scale government investment, particularly into education through Tiger's Leap program, regulation Wild West after the fall of the Soviet Union, where new government was free to adopt previous laws and regulations, or even start over in some sectors, and last but not least, the advancement in internet-based technology and personal computing across the world without any existing legacy to deal with. These three particular ingredients paired with government strategy enable for growth for digital government unlike seen anywhere else before. Estonia set e-governance as a strategic goal in the late 1990s and as a result, Estonia enabled tax declaration over the internet in 2000. XROAD, a fundamental solution in registry-based government technology data exchange, was launched in 2001. Nationwide digital identity first based on a chip technology-enabled ID card emerged in 2002. Estonians were able to vote over the internet in 2005, and by the year 2019, Almost 50% of votes were cast digitally in democratic elections. Nationwide digital identity was enabled over mobile devices through SIM cards as mobile ID in 2007, and Estonia started using what later became known as blockchain technology to assure data integrity in government already in 2008. While there have been multiple success stories since 2008, most notably the innovative program of EU residency, reality has emerged that the solutions built in the last decade are becoming an impediment in the road ahead. The elements that made digital Estonia successful have changed and the environment today is different. Estonian investments and opportunities for education are continuously strong and evolution and adoption of technology is today faster than ever. This is also enhanced by the healthy growth of Estonian startup sector. But the benefits of regulations Wild West has vanished, partly internally, but also partly due to being a well-established and active member state of the European Union. Differently from the 1990s, 
There is no more tabula rasa, a blank slate in designing, building, and deploying government services. Business logic complexity of existing services is becoming overwhelming as more services are being designed and built and integrated between one another. Technologies implemented in the last 20 years are becoming outdated in part or whole, not just in infrastructure, but also in software architecture. Benefits of European Union are great for the citizens of Estonia and their quality of life as freedom of education, work, shopping and travel are inspiring. Enabling this freedom is difficult. There are more laws, more regulations and more corner cases than ever that need to be supported in automated digitized services. In recent years, impact of general data protection regulation and cybersecurity threats on international scale are also especially relevant that were not foreseen when first building blocks for Estonian government technology were put in place more than 20 years ago. It has been stated by leaders of Estonian public sector that IT developments are unable to keep up with new laws and regulations and it is becoming a critical problem. Existing IT infrastructure and technology solutions are becoming outdated and difficult to manage to support the sustainable growth for the next decade in this environment and it is a disappointing reality that administration sectors are still prioritizing new solutions and new systems over maintenance and quality proofing of existing solutions, enhancing the problem further. Existing critical, highly dependent and dependable information systems need immediate attention. It is important to get the government technology stack to a state where only bad legacy is actually considered bad. Estonia does not have the manpower nor the resources to rebuild its technology stack again every five years, and the same could be said about most countries, if not all. The latter statement is also more thoroughly supported by the recent report of the National Audit Office of Estonia to Rijikogu, our parliament. Its main message can be summarized as, digital government does not just mean new services, but also sustainability and upkeep of existing systems. Relying on such conclusions, it is clear that the next generation digital Estonia needs to make a shift in how government procures, designs, builds, and manages software, and how Estonia implements core principles of e-government, such as once only principle. At the same time, it is important for the government technology stack to be healthy in a way where bad legacy would not impede progress and does not set up barriers. Governments have not yet digitized the majority of their services, have the freedom to make decisions based on the state of technology as it is today, without being held back by legacy tools and solutions of past decades that have to be continuously maintained to this day. It is thus a challenge to still enable and encourage the growth of the ecosystem as if you are starting over from a blank slate. Increased demands for data analysis and data-driven business solutions have also become a point of focus across all administration sectors in Estonia. 
Multiple sectors are setting up dashboards for situation overview and automated reporting for management. A nationwide project, Regrel, is ongoing. A large-scale project for automated registry-based census of the population. Large-scale and integrated use of data is raising challenges unlike anything encountered in the past decades, not just from a technology standpoint, but also information and data management difficulties by business stakeholders. Also, citizens of 2020 have different needs and expectations from the citizens of 2000. While the dot-com boom and the resulting explosion of multiple information websites and online services, including government websites, as well as the early wave of social media, was a way of life for two decades. The next generation will have different expectations on everyday use of touch-based, voice-enabled, handheld mobile devices. The emergence of Internet of Things and the continuous disappearance of personal stationary computers cannot be avoided. The citizens of today also neither have the need nor any desire to be aware of complex administrational layers of the government, while at the same time said complexity and especially the use of private citizen data should still become more transparent if need does arise. Citizens should be able to use seamless services regardless of their everyday environment. While the government can be a complex web of processes, and often unavoidable bureaucracy, citizen experience within should not be, and this needs to become a number one focus to enable the best environment to live in, digital or otherwise. If a citizen thrives, so does the government. To address those issues, to learn from the past and to avoid repeating some of the mistakes in the future, a new way of thinking is required in how government designs builds, integrates, and deploys services and uses data. The hypothesis is that by eliminating friction from the citizen experience, government should also become better within its own interoperability. While technology is only an aspect of the big picture, it is a critical one and the focus of this paper. Government technology stack needs to support citizen experience of the next generation by being more flexible, and loosely coupled to support the ever-changing landscape and business requirements. It needs to exist more naturally in the environment that citizens live in. And everything that we build today needs to last longer than everything that was built yesterday due to increased demand and digitization of services. This is the first challenge of Estonian ICT for the current and next generation how to extend the lifespan of the next generation system in order to stay ahead of the curve and not get weighed down with expensive costs of maintenance and complexity of existing solutions to provide the best citizen experience possible. 1.1. The story. How do you expect... How do you expect your citizen experience to be like? Imagine that you, as a citizen of Estonia, are visiting Finland. You and your partner are expecting a baby soon, but it is a while before the due date, so you can still walk around the early autumn Helsinki, enjoying the carefree tourist lifestyle, taking selfies, and walking around with cups of hot cocoa. But something goes wrong. 
baby is coming sooner than expected. Being in a different country is complicated. You are not aware of where the hospitals are. You don't know what the phone number of the taxi company is or what ride-sharing services are available. You're not even sure if your health insurance can support you or what you have to do next as you'd be barely prepared at home, but abroad it's even more difficult. So you pick up your phone and say, Help us. My partner is about to have a baby. Rotating processing wheel starts spinning on the phone screen until a kind automated voice replies that everything's going to be all right and that it will get back to you soon. Barely a half minute has passed as the kind voice continues. Your virtual assistant shows you where you are and directs you to a corner of the street barely 50 meters away. Everything is going to be all right. I have booked a transport for you. A car with the number ABC-123 is going to take you to a hospital one kilometer from here. Hospital has been notified that you are coming. Do not worry. You are about to be a parent soon. Your phone will pop up a notification asking for consent whether you agree to forward medical data from Estonian government to Finnish government healthcare service providers for this medical emergency, which your partner quickly accepts. A car picks you up and drives you to the hospital while your phone knows your payment details and you will instead get a notification from the Estonian government saying that your trip is subsidized so that you don't have to worry about anything other than your child. Everything goes in the hospital as expected and soon after, you've become a parent. Your phone congratulates you on becoming a parent and optionally recommends you multiple beautiful baby names, remarking that the recommended names will likely be unique among your child's classmates in the future. I am also preparing government support programs and services for you at home and will contact you if we need information from you. Let me know if you need any further help says the phone as it goes silent, giving you and your partner time to get to know little Iha. Remember this story. The concepts in this paper are laid out to support the realization of this vision. 1.2. The Big Picture At this point in the vision white paper, Crystal has put together a kind of infographic or model or a map for what the big picture looks like. It is very complex. I'm not going to bother trying to define it or describe it more than I have. However, you will find in the description comments for this episode a link that will take you directly to that image. Now, I will continue with the reading of the vision paper. The resulting hypothesis of this vision paper is that the next generation digital government architecture could be achieved by focusing on three key areas. As citizens have no desire or need to be aware of the complexity of government and do not wish to fulfill multiple complex paper or web forms, government services in whole or part need to become more seamless, reusable, and proactive. This paper proposes achieving this through domain-driven design, and business process modeling, and related flow tools, which should become a foundation for both new and refactored digital services. If interoperability catalog is also established, 
then reuse and transparency should also break many of the existing barriers. Citizen communication layer with the government needs to transform from website-based services to seamless services in whatever environment the citizen finds themselves in. This paper proposes achieving this through using virtual assistants and related automated message rooms that can be used for decoupling government technical architecture and enabling new kinds of cross-border data sharing. Government needs to tackle existing monolithic legacy and build more reusable technology stack for the next generation. This paper proposes multiple avenues for achieving this, primarily the concept of nationwide scale event-driven microservice architecture achieved through the concept of distributed and XROAD-enabled message rooms. These three sections are addressed in Section 2, From Silos to Proactive Services, Section 3, From Websites to Intelligent Virtual Assistants, CRAT AI, and Section 4, From Monoliths to Event-Driven Microservice Architecture. 2.0, from silos to proactive services. Private sector services are generally paid by the customer by directly or indirectly selling their data or showing them paid advertisements. And private sector user retention and active use of the services is critical for the success of the business. Same is not generally true in the public sector where citizens do not have a choice without changing their residence country. In Estonia, funding for projects is assigned through a complex government budgeting process where taxpayer finances are assigned to various administration sectors and projects. Same is true with the European Union budget funding where the taxpayer does not have a direct say in funding of services. This means that the business stakeholder who is responsible for the project often has a dominant opinion in the scope and feature set of any project and this can and has caused multiple problems. Estonia does not have centrally managed core registries and databases for real estate, population management, health, and more. Instead, digital government registries, services, and IT development and technical architecture is distributed between multiple sectors of administration with said administration sectors having freedom in development and management of services they are responsible for. Estonia has multiple ministries and agencies that are supported either by their own internal IT or partners from the private sector or most commonly by one of the larger IT development centers. Estonia has six large IT development centers some of the IT development teams serve multiple administration sectors and many IT centers have their own data centers. An abstract view of the setup between business and technical stakeholders is the following. And again here, Christo is showing a map or a model of the business and technical stakeholders. I will once again place this image in the description of the episode for you to have a quick look at.
IT development centers are horizontally supported by cross-border IT and cybersecurity solutions from Estonian Information System Authority as the central IT agency providing key digital government platforms from digital identity to shared tools. This approach has given a lot of flexibility and freedom for all administration sectors to develop solutions based on their own needs and in fact can be considered one of the reasons for digital government success so far. This is because every administration sector has been able to solve their problems from their own perspective, taking into account only their own processes and requirements without having to know the details of other administration sectors other than what dependencies they have. But as a result, many of those services have become complicated, confusing, and fragmented for the end user, citizens, and residents. While the government is encouraging more and more involvement of citizens, analysis of user behavior and end-user involvement in the development of services, in the majority of cases, it happens either too late, often once the service is already deployed live, or based on feedback not within statistical significance. Business decisions are still overwhelmingly dominated by business stakeholders' opinions within administration sectors. As a result, Estonian government has multiple administration sectors today with different records management systems and procedures and proceedings information systems developed with a focus on the government official needs. The numbers are so plenty that it often seems that everybody has their own system for every kind of proceeding imaginable. Due to unique flows and business processes and complexity of existing systems, it is difficult, if not impossible, to transfer built solutions over to another administration sectors. This has enabled the possibility of administration silos of sorts across the digital government as shown in the previous illustration. While at a high level they are similar, Going into detail, one stack of an administration sector looks increasingly different, not just in functionalities, but also in the technology stack supporting said functionalities. Thus, the problem is twofold. Not only are business flows incompatible with another administration sector, so is the technology stack. Adding the complexity of user and permissions management and domain-specific expansive functionality means that the system becomes very specific and very unique so that it is hard to take apart services and reuse data or components in an entirely different domain. In words from the movie Fight Club, every information has become a unique and beautiful snowflake. To tackle some of the aforementioned problems, Estonian government approved a plan for proactive services on December 7, 2018. While the details of this are more complex for the scope of this paper, the general principle is that public services are going to be made user-friendly, proactive, seamless, and automatic life event services. Proactive services are the next evolutionary step following Estonian once-only principle where it is important not to continuously ask the same data from citizens 
over and over again by different administration sectors to solve a single problem or handle a single life event of the citizen, such as birth. Proactivity gives services another layer and ties multiple government processes into a seamless, singularity-activated service as citizens do not need to fulfill multiple separate forms to get government support for their single life event. Once only principle is implemented in Estonia, but the reality is that continuous fragmentation between autonomous government silos means that despite once only principle, the government still asks data from the citizen often in a repetitive manner. For example, during an application for a passport, the police and border guard relies on old data from previous applications instead of more accurate data from the population registry. Part of the problem is a complex web of legalities and regulations also now enhanced by the GDPR. It took Estonian Ministry of Economic Affairs and Communications years to work out and get government approval for proactive background services that do not require citizen consent in every step of the way and would allow different administration sectors to proactively share citizen data between themselves for the benefit of a more seamless user experience for the citizen. But while the government has given a go-ahead and some of the services have already been integrated between one another as a proactive services, the reality is that there are no standards and no set principles on how to both design such services nor how to actually properly build them. To address those issues, this paper suggests four paths. Understanding of Conway's Law Implementing Domain-Driven Design Starting to use business process modeling tools for decoupled process management and establishing an interoperability catalog in your digital government. Two point one, Conway's law. In order to tackle the issue of silo-based fragmented services with complex monolithic processes, it is important to see what enables such services in the first place. One of the best examples of digitization are hospitals. Health sector is carefully handling what is the most precious, human lives, and there are multiple lessons to learn from them. In twenty nineteen. Multiple hospitals in Estonia had power outages, and power outages can mean a tragedy if you are not prepared. Representative from one of the Estonian hospitals has said that they expect the bare minimum for a larger hospital to be able to handle power outages up to three days. Often, with large-scale power outages, networking is also impacted, and that will mean the hospital are unable to transfer data over the internet or request medical data related to the patient, even if they have their internal power generators up and running. An interesting example of this is Rapla Hospital, that had a power outage due to cable malfunction in 2019. Hospital said that despite outages, they were able to continue their work using paper, albeit in a limited manner, 
And once computer systems were restored, they were able to digitize the important material. These examples, while sounding simple at first, will become very important examples for information system design. A famous computer scientist, Melvin Conway, defined in 1967 a law that says the following. Organizations which design systems are constrained to produce designs which are copies of the communication structure of these organizations. What this means is that you can take any organization in the world and ask them to design a computer system that helps them to do their work in the most ideal way possible. In the end, what they will end up designing will actually map closely that organization's manual routines and communication patterns. As an example, if your everyday work involves taking a piece of paper to your colleague for signing, then the ideal computer system for you would automate this so that you can do it digitally. Implications of this can be difficult to see at first, but can be critical for not just the public sector, but for any organization that has a need to develop services or systems to enhance and optimize their everyday work. This is especially true for an organization in the size of a government. There are two key takeaways from Conway's Law. Number one, organizations change and have to be able to change. And two, bad processes are not improved by good technology. Let's look at organizations change. Bad legacy software and complex business processes do not happen by itself. Neither do they happen just because enough time has passed. Software systems become a bad legacy most frequently because the organizations become unhappy using them. Because organizations change. According to Conway's law, the ideal information system for an organization maps the organization's communication routines. But if those people change and new people have different expectations, then those new people and their routines and processes do not easily map into existing software. And the more this happens, the more such a computer system becomes a bad legacy. And the more this happens, the more such computer systems become a bad legacy and the more unhappy the users become. Sooner or later, the organization has to find a new solution, often developing a new system from scratch. This has happened frequently in government administration sectors as well and keeps happening every year. What can be done to handle the risk of Conway's Law in case your organization and business processes are frequent to change? Well, one, you want your services and information systems to be designed and built in a way that allows you to be almost as flexible as you can be when changing organization and its processes itself. This is addressed in this paper below. Number two, don't design and build monolithic software if you intend the system to be used for any extended length of time. Monolithic software is inflexible and increasingly difficult to iterate over multiple development cycles 
and changing business needs. Now let's look at bad process isn't improved by good technology. You cannot cheat Conway's law or try to avoid it in any way. Conway's law implies that your maximum potential for an information system is the maximum potential of your organization. This means that if your organization or process itself is problematic, then so will be your information system and the resulting automated service. This also means that you cannot jump over your own shadow and if your organization is inherently problematic, it might be better to use simpler tools than trying to fix it with new complex systems. In other words, bad input can end up with nothing better than bad output. Keep the following in mind. Do not expect technology to be the silver bullet to fix everything. Start with the organization and the processes you are responsible for. Only once these processes work well, technology can help optimize and automate the routines therein. Do not forget information and data management. Just like it is important to have firm control over your services, data is critical from both understanding of data as well as classifying it within its own domain or when mapped in comparison to other domains. And lastly, make sure you understand the roles and domains in your process organization. See the next section. 2.2, domain-driven design. Good software starts from a good design and clear understanding of business processes. It is very common that when an organization realizes that it needs to develop a new information system and invites business stakeholders to such a brainstorming meeting, quite often the results are very function-focused. Program needs to do X and Y. It needs to integrate with Z. It needs to work on W. It needs to comply with A, B, and C. Computer scientist Eric Evans, author of Domain-Driven Design Concepts, has said that such an approach is misguided and often leads to problems. This is because such an approach attempts to cheat Conway's law. To illustrate what domain-driven design is, let's look at the following example. Imagine that you have inherited 50 tons of experimental next-generation electric car batteries from your late uncle. He left you a note saying that this will make you rich. So you tried the batteries out and indeed, they are more effective than anything you've used before. You decide to start up a business. Owning 50 tons of batteries is not exactly an easy problem. Batteries need to be held in rooms fitting a specific condition. You need to have control over how many batteries there are and in what state they're in. Thus, you decide to hire an inventory manager who's responsible for the warehouse and state of your batteries. But this isn't enough. While you can now be sure that your inventory is good and nothing happens to it, no one still knows that you have those batteries. So you decide to hire a marketing guru 
who ends up wearing battery costumes and running around petrol stations to advertise that your company has the best electric car batteries in the world. But still, this isn't enough. People now do not know that you have those batteries and wish to buy them. But they can't. To handle this problem, you hire a sales manager and make sure that the marketing guru can share their contact information. Suddenly, sales start happening. With each sale, the sales manager asks the inventory manager if they have enough batteries left because demand is incredibly high. Despite sales happening, customers are still not getting their batteries because they are in your warehouse handled by the inventory manager. So you decide not to hire a transportation guy as transportation is a sector that may not be something your company is best at. So you make a deal with DHL and use their services to deliver batteries to the customers. Suddenly, the entire business flow works. Inventory manager handles the state of the warehouse. The marketing manager makes sure your voice is heard. The sales manager handles sales and money. And DHL delivers batteries to customers. There are some situations that still cause a headache, though. Some customers are calling and saying that their addresses have changed since they placed the order and they're worried that their batteries are delivered to the wrong address. Thus, you hire a customer rep to handle your customer data and make sure that when customer address changes, that sales rep is aware of it with all outstanding orders. Address does not need to be changed in archived orders after all. All of those employees are working essentially in an open office environment. This is a good example that will be further explained below as well as Conway's law. As a result, the whole company could be automated almost entirely. The inventory manager, due to dangerous physical goods, inventory could be automated through inventory registry information system and warehouse robotics. The marketing guru could be nothing other than a marketing website with good search engine optimization. The sales manager is nothing more than a sales service with an API. DHL, while logistics is still needed, requests for transportation could be automated with logistics service integrated with DHL's own API and RPA could be used if a logistics company has no API but still has a website. The customer rep could be no more than a chatbot with its own customer database registry. And an open office environment could simply be event-driven architecture communication rooms where the different services can share data. This example is an important one. It doesn't say that such a company would need any actual manual labor, but it does mean that the most common routines could be automated so that the rest of the company could deal with external problems and exceptions that might arise. And what is difficult with humans is not so difficult with computer systems. If such a company is automated, it is possible to introduce a new service into that same communication room 
and see if it is able to do its job better than the existing service. It'd be possible to integrate UPS service alongside DHL service and then, through comparing how the services work, either have them share load or prefer one over the other. And once the batteries run out, you can close down the inventory manager service and warehouse robotic services. Your website can become an electric battery information portal that starts taking consultation requests, which can be a modified sales service API with a whole new set of products. This kind of flexibility is only possible if it is started from domain-driven design way of planning. Doing it the other way around would have likely ended up with a large, monolithic e-shop with customer management, inventory, payment, and logistics functions, increasing complexity, and removing flexibility you need for your business changes, personnel changes, or laws, and regulations change. Domain-driven design is a term originally authored by Evans in his 2004 book of the same name, and what it effectively means is that system design should be driven by domains of the process and organization. Eric Evans says that in while in an ideal world, the whole of that world would be mapped to a single unified model, reality is different, and similarly to Conway's law, this reality cannot be avoided. In order to get to a more tangible understanding of domain-driven design as a concept, it is important to explain what a domain actually is. A domain is a constrained sphere of knowledge, influence, function, or activity. To give an example, every employee in an organization is responsible for at least one domain. Many employees share the same domain and many employees are working in multiple domains. For example, a domain may be inventory management, which means that it's a body of work and it's functions related to inventory management in organization. While the topic of domain-driven design is one about which whole books have been written, in order to make a change for business stakeholders in the public sector, I will lay out basic groundwork and suggestions from my own experience. The following is a basic template that you should follow from the moment you have realized that yes, there is a service or system you want to create and there is an actual business case for automating such a service. Now, once again, Crystal has provided a map or a model or a graphic outlining what this automated service is all about. And again, you can find a link to this image in the description below. Using this template, process of laying out scope for the project from domain-driven perspective is as follows. One, domain. Write down the list of domains that are supposed to use the information system or service. Every single domain is important. What are the business roles that deliver value in the organization? Remember that a domain is a constrained sphere of knowledge, influence, function, or activity, such as a specific role in a company with a specific set of duties. Number two, 
Once you have your domains in place, map out what are the required flows of those domains. A flow is a specific activity that should be possible in the service or system with a clear beginning, middle, and end. Remember that there should be no flows that have no domains and a single flow may span multiple domains. Number three, once you know what domains and flows are in your plan system, you can start involving your technical stakeholders and engineers. Your technical stakeholders are responsible for the three bottom pillars of the above graph, and your user interface and user experience designers are responsible for the very top. Number four, UX means user experience, but in this context, it can mean anything related to user interface and graphic design. It can even mean a technical designer in case the plan system is only ever meant as an API. Note that UX does not actually require the bottom technical layer to exist. The only thing UX requires is the awareness of what domains there are and what flows need to be supported for those flows. User experience designers will benefit greatly from knowing that they are not asked for another website. Their focus can go to design and experience for a certain kind of employee that needs to do certain kinds of things in the organization. Number five, the bottom three spheres on the graph belong to technical stakeholders of the project. Similarly to other spheres, make a note of the connections between spheres. The services means all technical components and endpoints. Services are your actual organization routines, automation backend components. Ideally, if your goal is a flexible system, you will intend to have multiple services, usually one service per unique domain. Number six, the test sphere is not interested in domains themselves. Tests are meant to assure that functionality works either during development or routinely in the background. Ideally, you need to plan out tests for every flow in your system, and those tests are making sure that services are delivering those flows as expected. While this is subjective, personal opinion, the only critical tests are the ones that actually test the business functionality of a system. Number seven, the CFR sphere means cross-functional requirements. The term non-functional requirements is more popular, but many software architects in recent years have agreed that you have no purpose for requirements that have absolutely no connection to business domains. While the intended meaning is similar, it is more accurate to name requirements cross-functional meaning principles, standards, and requirements that are inherited from laws and regulations, as well as good engineering practices that are adopted to the system for business needs. Following these points, it is possible to set out a scope for a system with business stakeholders with domains and flows, and then designers on UX and technical stakeholders on the bottom layer and start development. There are other key benefits as well. One, 
It supports a more agile way of software development. The listed flows are very much like user stories of agile methodology. Implementing domain-driven design can also help organizations get more familiar with more agile software development practices. Number two, it helps to find clarity in organization business and information architecture and to reflect back on inconsistencies in organization as a whole. If the above exercise ends up like a complex mess, it is likely because organization processes are a complex mess that should be addressed before anyone starts writing code. Number three, Domain-driven design is also helpful in getting organizations to plan projects in a more horizontal manner as delivery roadmap of a project can be domain by domain and flow by flow. Number five, domain-driven design is a foundational enabler of maintainable and decentralized autonomous service architecture that will be covered further in later sections. And lastly, number six, in the public sector, the public servant and the citizen are two different domains. Third possible domain is entrepreneurs and businesses. As a result, they should possibly be handled differently within an information system as well, including separation of backend services and user interfaces and tests. What is good about the previous visual template is that you can design your whole business functional information system in this manner without writing a single line of code. The whole design can be played out between people and using pens and paper. Returning to the previous example of Rapla Hospital, they were able to continue working on paper while the power was out. This is because their processes were not designed with computers in mind as a primary focus. Computers simply allowed to automate and optimize processes that already had to exist in the organization anyway. Thus, the hospital was both subject to Conway's law as well as domain-driven design internally. This is how it was then possible to transfer manual processes back to digital once power was restored. When implementing domain-driven design, few other key areas has to be kept in mind. For example, if it seems that your domain responsibilities are incredibly complex and full of dependencies and edge cases and that you don't think you can map your domains and flows out in just as easy a way as a practical example given in the beginning, you are likely not looking at the problem close enough. If the above still does not help, a popular methodology known as Strangler Pattern, which is used in software development to break apart complex monoliths, could be applied to complex business processes as well. 2.3. Business Process Modeling Business process modeling and business process management and systems engineering is the activity of representing processes of an organization so that the current process may be analyzed, improved, and automated. BPM, as it is often referred to, is typically performed by business stakeholders 
who provide expertise in the modeling discipline and by technical stakeholders who have specialized knowledge of the processes being modeled or both. In software architecture, there are two abstract extremes how information systems are designed. One is by traditional orchestrated system, a system similar to a conductor waving hands before orchestra to do their bidding. And the other is choreographed system, a system similar to a dance routine where all dancers react to one another according to predefined core principles. Looking at challenges faced by the public sector and distributed digital government as a whole, neither extreme is a healthy choice for the long term. There are too many predefined regulations and laws on how certain processes need to work, making choreography as the de facto standard nearly impossible. This is supported by various use cases, even companies that have pioneered choreographed, event-driven architecture like Netflix have learned their lesson and realized that you still need orchestration in places. But if choreography is too dynamic for laws and regulations and orchestration is too complex in integrations, something in between could be an option. If digital government uses orchestration at a high level for large-scale business processes and uses choreography at a low level for functional services and functional tasks, then perhaps digital government decoupling and foundations for cross-sector background services would be possible. One of the ways how orchestration can be achieved without sacrificing reuse and flexibility is the use of business process modeling and related workflow tools. The core idea of this is that business processes are handled in a separate piece of software from all the other functionalities. For example, sending out an email is not an integrated part of software and instead is behind a separate function of software. As described earlier, the complexity of public sector monolithic information systems comes often as a result of complexity of business processes. Engineering difficulty is often with specific functionalities and not as much as in business flows themselves. It is important to decouple the two as it would be possible to reuse domains and functions without having to reuse business functionalities themselves. Abstract view of BPM's role is the following. Once again, Christo has provided an image to describe the flow of BPM, and much like in other instances, you can find a link to this image in the description. Business process modeling workflow software can be engineered from scratch and often is engineered from scratch as part of if-else condition labyrinth in a monolithic software, but it is recommended not to. Some of the popular tools used for this task today are Comunda and Flowable. This approach allows to separate business flows from functional APIs. While workflow tools such as Comunda and Flowable still require engineers to manage and maintain the complex aspects of workflows, 
then these tools are also a valuable aid for business stakeholders. This means that business stakeholders would have a visual overview of their business process exactly as it is rather than an interpretation of code. It allows us to show both complexity as well as bottlenecks. It also opens up an opportunity to share and reuse APIs since these functionalities, domains and flows and domain-driven design, are not coupled with business process flows directly. This can lead to more distributed government technology architecture, especially when paired with event-driven microservice concepts described later in the paper. BPM essentially acts as the domain of specific business processes, such as the role of a manager that has to make sure the team, tools and technical services, have their tasks at the right time and can get to the result that organization needs in the end. At the same time, while BPM workflows can in itself be coupled, the functions used can be reused across the organization by other flows. BPMs are also near ideal tools for orchestrating proactive background services as you can model the entire business flows across administration sectors with such BPMs. Workflow engines of different administration sectors could also communicate with each other, setting off new processes and flows as a result. Further takeaways regarding business process modeling and workflow engines include Number one, administration sectors with complex business processes likely need multiple workflow engines for those complex business processes. It is not recommended to create a new single point of failure by using a single workflow engine for everything that is automated within an administration sector. Number two, Start experimenting with BPM and workflow engines with a smaller project first in order to get familiar with it. You don't need to use BPMs everywhere, but starting small is a way to get more familiar with the practice. Number three, workflow engines can create real-time views for business stakeholder dashboards as well, and it perfectly maps with lean development principles. It is possible to see both bottlenecks and manual load in your BPM charts. Number four, implementation of business process modeling tools and domain-driven design is the absolute key in getting modern software architecture principles more widely adopted in digital government. Number five, business process modeling allows to have an up-to-date an exact overview of business processes. Most business stakeholders in the public sector have to rely on analysts or engineers' interpretations of the business flow, but BPM and workflow tools give an exact state of the business processes as is. Number six. Most monolithic software in digital government is the result of business process complexity being tightly coupled within the functional code base. BPM helps to keep the two logically separate and encourage reuse.
other administration sectors do not wish to use your complex workflows they don't understand, but they'd gladly use your most valuable automated tools for picture analysis, message sending, or tax calculation. 2.4, interoperability catalog. There's an issue of transparency of government technology stack, tools, components, and databases in almost every government, including Estonia. There is no simple way for one administration sector to learn what another administration sector is using and how without going in depth into the administration sector. In some administration sectors, the same problem is prevalent even within the same sector internally. Low reuse of government services is not for the lack of desire, but mostly due to complexity as different sectors have implemented different tools for their own business perspective. This is also impacted by the passing of time, as even within a single administration sector services become old and outdated. Programming languages or database technologies or versions of each or either are used to have fallen out of popularity. This has increased cost of maintenance and increased the desire of engineers from within the public sector as well as from the private sector to build a new solution from scratch. Ironically, it has also been easier to get funding for new systems rather than upgrading and refactoring existing systems. This has also fractured the government technology infrastructure as different software needs are built on different infrastructure solutions and they are not cross-compatible between one and another. Low number of services are in the cloud, the majority are virtualized, and some are still running on dedicated hardware. While IT development teams of different administration sectors in Estonia have raised the desire to know more about what other administration sectors are using in terms of tools and services, in reality, the ecosystem does not encourage nor enable this. Ministry of Economic Affairs and Communications of Estonia has established RIHA, which is a high-level registry of government information systems and data registries. The goal of RIHA was to assure control of government data in a distributed architecture ecosystem. Reality is that RIHA has only served part of its purpose and has become an inconvenient impediment that provides little to no return value to IT development teams, neither in public nor private sector. In 2019, Estonian public sector engineering community, including private sector participants, addressed this problem directly and agreed that RIHA as it is today needs to be deprecated and a new interoperability supporting solution, currently unnamed and referred to as interoperability catalog, needs to be in its place. The most important goal of such a catalog is to make it clear what foundational technical components and data the government technology stack consists of and how it can be reused without spending a lot of money to build the same solution again 
albeit in different colors. As a goal, interoperability catalogs should support the following for the whole digital government architecture. Transparency. This allows us to see what technical components and data at metadata levels exists in the public sector. Reusability. With this catalog, it should be possible to see how existing components and databases can be integrated and used without having to reinvent the wheel. Interoperability. Such catalogs should make it possible to standardize at a high level certain principles how systems interoperate between one another. Actuality. It is important for interoperability catalog to be as up-to-date as possible. If you can be sure that data is up-to-date, then you are more likely to use it for making decisions. And lastly, distributed. Interoperability catalog should not be central monolithic dependency, but enable local instances in IT development houses and administration sectors to also share data between one another. At a high level, such interoperability catalog should be something like this. And again, Crystal here presents us with an image that can be found in the description below. Core part of interoperability catalog is the separation of prime domains such as health or identity or population. Any and every kind of database and technical component should belong to a single domain. Secondly, there are responsible owners, business stakeholders, IT development houses, and other responsible for enabling services in certain domains. Once an owner has a defined responsibility in a domain, they can then establish technical services and databases as they see fit for the benefit of the service. Governments are relatively complex and the issue of ownership can be difficult due to a web of bureaucracy and oversight. But for the interoperability catalog to maximize its potential, it is important that the complexity remains only on assigning responsible owners to domains. This means that once there is a responsible owner agreed and set for the domain, that owner should have freedom to create new services and data sets under that domain to their liking, keeping in mind their duties as an owner and their expertise related to that domain. With this, it will be too complex and slow to keep the interoperability catalog up to date and valuable for the government. If this is not possible, an interoperability catalog should not be set up. In an ideal world, your technology architecture and interoperability catalog would primarily consist only of easily searchable and browsable API documentation catalog as long as good practices are kept in mind when building your software stack. With well-designed systems and wide use of APIs, it is your APIs that give a thorough overview of all data that is stored and handled by your system because you cannot input nor output any data from your service without the API. 
But this is not possible in an organization the size of a whole government involving multiple administration areas and a lot of pre-existing legacy. Thus, it is important for the interoperability catalog to address all three very high-level styles of software architecture. Again, Crystal has provided us with an image which is actually rather complex. And again, you can find a link to that image in the description. Key takeaways here is that it is critical to also make sure that databases and any kind of data sources used by technical components are made just as transparent as your technical API documentation is due to various forms of reuse and integrations that may exist or are expected to exist. If it is not possible to include the majority of your technical components and databases in your interoperability catalog, it is better not to have such a catalog at all as it will become a legacy in its own right. The only way for interoperability catalog to be successful is to assure that it covers a wide range of most used business-related technical services and databases, and for each of those components and databases to involve a concept called service manifest. What is service manifest? Interoperability catalog is possible to be realized only if it is, by itself, loosely coupled, in other words, not a dependency for the whole technology architecture. This means that the catalog cannot be a new monolithic single source of truth for everything. In order to make this possible, it is recommended to establish a shared standard for building a commonly understood knowledge base. Thus, the proposed solution for interoperability catalog is the established use of a service manifest. Inspired by Android mobile application manifests, the core idea is to assure that every technical component, API, or database has its own XML manifest that describes in a standardized way its own function and existence. Such a manifest involves information about what that component is for what domain it serves, and what function it has, as well as a documentation, version information, and integration points. This manifest can be generated automatically or with minor manual tweaks and should be the responsibility of the IT development team. This manifest should then be submitted to the interoperability catalog whenever a technical component of the service changes. And again, we have yet another image, and I say that very kindly, that Crystal has provided demonstrating what he's talking about here. And as the rest of this reading, you can find a link for this image in the description below. The interoperability catalog would then store and index the manifest for its own use or return an error in case there's a conflict of permissions or error in the manifest. Interoperability Catalog itself then allows authorized users to browse various information systems and components. At minimum, manifest would be something like this. And here, Crystal gives us an image of XML code, which again can be viewed in a link below. Majority of services would be described with a minimal manifest. 
it is important to make sure that every kind of technical component could be described with a manifest from monolithic software to smaller microservices. An expanded, larger manifest would include additional data. It is also recommended to submit those manifests as part of CI front slash CD process of project deployment as the majority of this data can either be automatically filled or changes infrequently enough to be done manually. Making sure that the process is automated will also make sure that the interoperability catalog remains up to date. Interoperability catalog itself then gathers all of the submitted manifests and creates an easily searchable catalog of the entire government technology stack and their integrations and independencies and ownerships. If the interoperability catalog is realized well, then this should encourage more reuse within the public sector and this should also provide transparency for the private sector to perhaps select services that government is running today and start offering them as business service, perhaps in higher quality and better pricing than the government itself is able to do. If managed well, then interoperability catalog could also provide the government a business architecture view of components and data sets that services consist of, including a continuous trace to cost of services, both their development, maintenance, licensing, and infrastructure. This should allow the government a better way to plan the financial budget as it would make actual costs of the service transparent for decision making. This concept has not been realized in Estonian digital government stack yet, but proof of concept projects are already ongoing. Data management. Having a good overview of technical component architecture is important, but it is perhaps even more important to have a firm grasp on the data of the organization, especially if that data is shared between services and includes multiple integrations. Many information systems and registries are built with just a supporting backend relational database for the services, but the increased growth of data means that unless making it a business priority, data can become complicated and even impossible to maintain long term. In Estonia, it is expected for administration sectors to have responsible data managers in order to assure long-term quality of data in the government. What this means for interoperability catalog is that the manifest similar to aforementioned technical components is also required for databases. Such manifests would not include personalized data such as someone's name, but it would include metadata of data such as the fact that name is being stored in the first place. Manifest standard to be used should be different from that of the technical component manifest due to complexity in describing data, but it should still include the domain that the data set belongs to as well as its dependencies. Data management is a huge topic in its own right, but the following is a list of what should also be kept in mind. Number one, make sure your organization has clear roles in place whose responsibility is information and data management. Number two, 
use data governance tools that help keep track of organizations' data quality. Number three, if you do not have good data management in place in the organization, you are missing a key ingredient to also enable smart and wide-scale data analysis for making better data-driven decisions. Number four, do not be afraid of replication of data across your services, but you have to make sure that the data is not directly replicated. What this means is that data replication should be per functional requirements of the service that replicates. Do not replicate email addresses if you are not actually using it. But it is important to make sure that despite data replication, you only have a single source of truth and owner for each data set. Number five, you need to handle the growth of data in a proactive manner. Needs of your system are likely to grow in an exponential manner in the era of artificial intelligence, and smart management of this growth is crucial to sustainable data architecture. Number six, make sure you have classification of data in place, either internally within organization or also for external dependencies. But at the same time, do not create central classification dependencies and related services, which would break autonomy of services. Number seven, Data quality is not just the quality of the database structure and data stored within, but also the APIs and services themselves that expose data. Private sector benefits. The most important benefit of a well-managed interoperability catalog is the possible cooperation with the private sector. In the idealistic world, the public sector should assure only the very core aspects of a country's governance and would have no need to design, develop, and maintain services themselves. As long as proper oversight is assured, services of the government should dominantly be provided by the private sector wherever possible. Interoperability catalog is one of the foundational layers to encourage and enable this. Transparency of public sector services, databases at metadata level, and technical components gives a clear overview of functions of a government, which could be grounds to new private businesses. If a private company starts offering one of the services by themselves that is traditionally maintained by the government, then the benefits of this are plenty. Most importantly, the reduced cost and higher quality of the service. By making sure that public sector services are developed with open source technologies in mind and making it transparent what technical components are being used in government, both provided internally by the public sector or the private sector, also encourages competition as another company could start providing the same service relying on similar API functionalities. Government benefits from this by getting a higher quality, and potentially more financially feasible service. Interoperability catalog, just like the public sector code repository, can also encourage emergence of new businesses and give birth to new ideas. 2.5. Key takeaways. Transforming silo-based government architecture to cross-administration sector architecture 
with focus on citizen experience can be difficult, especially if the starting point is as complex as it is in governments like Estonia today. It is important to make sure regulations are aligned with this concept. In the example of Estonia, this has taken years to enable support for proactive, seamless background services. Even without regulations in place, it is smart to involve multiple participants across different administration sectors and start working on integrated background services. Focus should be on services where citizens' experience today is divided into multiple contact points and multiple filing of forms, especially when those forms are provided by two different government websites or other contact points, especially ones that perhaps are still non-digital. Domain-driven design should be used to map out how the process should actually work. What are the domains and roles in this business process? And what are the flows that need to work end-to-end for this service? Business process modeling tools should be tried out to start building this cross-sector service, Commanda or Flowable being the main ones to recommend. While seemingly complex at first and still requiring an engineer to make the best use of it, BPM tools have a high potential for the right kind of orchestration within government. It is also important for an organization to have interoperability catalog of some kind that gives a transparent overview of technical components and databases that are serving business services. This is important for reusability, but also to inspire new ideas by enabling a toolbox for the organization as well as for cooperation with the private sector. Data management needs to be in place so that organizations have a clear overview of what data they store and how it relates to their services as well as to assure long-term quality of said data. What's most important is to pilot and test and get used to new ways of building services sooner rather than later. And even if your administration sector has no cross-sector integrations and dependencies, similar concepts are invaluable even within a single organization. 3.0 From Websites to Intelligent Virtual Assistant CRAT AI The European Union expects every member state to have implemented the single digital gateway regulation by the end of 2023. The goal set by the EU is to provide the specified administrative procedures online in all member states and make them accessible to cross-border citizens through your Europe portal. Quote, the single digital gateway will guide citizens and companies to information on national and EU rules, rights and procedures, and the websites where they can carry out these procedures online. And users looking for assistance will be guided towards problem-solving services. End quote. Estonian domestic equivalent to single digital gateway has been EESTI.ee a government web portal and single contact point website for citizens and businesses alike. This web portal was launched in 2003 
and over time has evolved to become a key part of Estonian citizens' digital experience. Eastie.ee has become more than just an information portal and also has enabled administration sector services to be integrated into the web portal, such as checking your address data from the population registry or seeing your diplomas. For the citizens of Estonia, it provides an access to all government services, some directly, some as redirects, as well as an overview of how and why and when their data has been accessed through an Estonian word that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it means Data Observer Service. Eastie.ee has become a core part of citizen experience in Estonia. But with the increased complexity in developing e-services in administration sectors and the continuously changing citizen expectations, what is essentially a complex website is becoming outdated. 1. A lot of services are integrated into the existing gateway, but not all of them, and many services are linked from the aforementioned single digital gateway to a website that provides the actual service. Number 2. Administration sectors have had notable complexity in developing their service endpoints inside government portal software stack due to technical complexity and difficulty in maintenance. Such integration have to become loosely coupled for long-term maintenance so that the single digital gateway is not a bottleneck for everything in government. Number three, large majority of citizens are using web search engines to query about everyday problems, such as what to do when an identity document is lost and they expect to find a single source of truth through those search engines. This can often lead the citizen to less accurate results as search engines may link to unofficial or outdated data sources. Number four, the citizen does not visit and has no interest in visiting government web portal anywhere near as frequently as they visit Instagram or Facebook. This means that the rate of notable changes in government web portal can negatively impact citizen experience since it may seem to the citizen that the website is changing every time they actually visit. Number five, fragmented citizen experience is also a threat with multiple administration sectors developing their own citizen communication portals on the side of ST.ee due to the aforementioned complexities and developing services within ST.ee, this can lead to issues similar to the United States ESTA visa program where, unless you actually know the website you're looking for, the search engine can lead you to middlemen websites that can ask premium expenses for free or notably cheaper government services. Digital government Single Digital Gateway ESTE.ee is not going to be eliminated or replaced, but it is important to look into how it can evolve and support new services. Government Web Portal also needs to exist as a backup in case other expected solutions are not providing the service as expected. In late 2018, 
a new updated beta version of ST.ee was launched, but further changes are required. The hypothesis laid out by this paper is that artificial intelligence-enabled virtual assistants should become the main way the government provides services. As such, Estonia's National Artificial Strategy was published on May 28, 2019. Among multiple sectors that Estonia is going to focus on, one of the focuses is the following. Developing the bureaucrat concept for interoperability of public sector AI solutions as well as shared AI interface for citizens for use of public services. What is CRAT AI? CRAT, spelled K-R-A-T-T, is a mythological being in Estonia, an artificial man-like creature meant for manual labor. Due to its inherent similarity, Estonia adopted the use of the word krat as an equivalent of artificial intelligence and by the year 2020, this word is being used to describe even other forms of automation in the public sector that may technically not even be an AI. All administration sectors now speak of said krats and multiple administration sectors have involved actual machine learning solutions in various projects as a result. Name of the concept for virtual assistant bureaucrat comes from the word bureaucratia, bureaucracy, and the aforementioned crat. International term of the concept is simply crat AI. Within the AI strategy, there are two points to focus for crat AI. One, the creation of digital government assistant for a more seamless citizen experience, and two, trialing and assuring the interoperability of multiple artificial intelligence solutions. Relying on the story laid out in the beginning with the successful implementation of CRAT AI, all of the following would be possible. You can use your phone or tablet or intelligent TV set or other home digital assistant to get access to government services. You don't have to learn the complexities of government bureaucracy. Communication with the government would be seamless and natural. Government can notify you of important changes to your status, benefits, or otherwise. You do not have to know which administration sectors to contact and which websites to visit. All the other benefits would still remain or would be enhanced further, such as that you would have better transparency over your data and consent related to data. This paper lays out a concept of how such a virtual assistant could be realized and what are the key ingredients to make it happen on top of the government technology stack. 3.1 Next Generation Seamless Citizen Experience While digitization of government services is a great success story in Estonia, the majority of digitization and IT developments in Estonia are focused on the heavy end of government's own services and needs of the public servant rather than the citizen as mentioned earlier. This is the complexity that citizens should never have to encounter 
which means that a different interface will become important to offer those services to the citizen. Classic user interfaces that we are used today are becoming outdated. Websites and even mobile user interfaces are inconvenient unless you use them daily and the public sector will encounter issues and dissatisfaction related to this problem much earlier than the private sector will. Citizens do not wish to visit government websites frequently, if at all. Thus, any kind of unfamiliar interface for them is inconvenient. This also means that it is more difficult to make changes to public web interfaces since even small changes can negatively impact a visitor that rarely visits as it may look different every time. This is an opportunity for the public sector to tackle this problem as pioneers. These areas have to be investigated to make this happen. One, the creation of a virtual assistant that streamlines communication between the citizen and the government. Two, domestic language support. And three, enabling the concept of digital twin. What is a digital government virtual assistant? Governments should not, if at all possible, build a wide array of phone apps for citizens that everybody has to install in order to use government services as this can be complex, if not impossible, to maintain long term. This does not mean that all apps should be avoided but an app causes an increased digital divide and complexity for its citizens which should be carefully considered. It is important that citizens can use most important government services in whatever environment they're in, from physical to digital. When it comes to virtual assistance, this means that the virtual assistant needs to be accessible over a variety of devices from any provider without requiring citizens to install anything extra other than what is provided by the device itself. It is highly likely that with a well-designed ecosystem, such virtual assistance could be provided entirely by the private sector. Due to requirements to be as much vendor and device agnostic as possible, this means that a virtual assistant needs to work on two separate layers, web browsers and mobile devices with internal digital assistance. Again, Crystal provides us with an image, a model, that can be found in the description below. Here is an example flow of how this might work. Citizen loses a passport. Citizen either uses their phone or logs onto their computer and visits government single digital gateway. And let's look at the two scenarios beginning with the phone. Citizen tells their phone, I've lost my passport. Phone processes user intent and detects that this is government related. This is done either by an internal phone operating system and its virtual assistant or supported by an app that is installed on the device. The phone sends this message to a government endpoint for processing. The government endpoint responds that message is received and notifies the phone internally with a transaction session ID related to this event. 
Now let's look at the scenario from a computer logging into to a computer or a laptop perspective. The citizen writes to the government's single digital gateway website chatbot window. I have lost my passport. The chatbot sends this message to the government endpoint for processing. The government endpoint tells the chatbot that the message is received. In either case, citizen is told that the government has received the message and is working on it. A complex web tackled in other sections of this paper of backhand communication happens on the government side, which may involve multiple administration sectors. A government realizes that it needs to know the identity of the user, so depending on the environment the citizen is at, the following happens. The phone asks the customer to authenticate themselves either through web endpoint and browser or using mobile ID, smart ID, or other similar government accepted solution. This request carries the same transaction, session, and ID, thus responses are directed to the same government backend. Phones should not have to detect further intents. Customer identifies themselves. Process continues in the background. In the single digital gateway, the website asks citizens to authenticate themselves, for example, using their identity card or mobile ID. The customer identifies themselves. Process continues in the background. Again, in either case, the citizen is notified that the loss of their document is reported and related certificates have been flagged. The citizen is told that the government will contact them if anything else is required. What is domestic language support? There is one important cornerstone to making virtual assistance happen in such a scope. Virtual assistance need to understand the language of the citizen. In Estonia, this means definitely understanding Estonian, but possibly also Russian and English, with the added complexity that the requests in these languages should be understood correctly by digital government services. By making sure that the understanding of language is separately handled from services themselves, it would be possible to offer government services for any resident, regardless of their native language. For countries where Google or Apple have already integrated domestic language support and digital assistants already speak the local language, getting to such virtual assistants is not as complicated. In Estonia, it is critical to get those everyday devices that citizens use to actually speak their language. Multiple things have to happen to try out the virtual assistant CRAT AI concept. One, as mentioned, without language support, CRAT AI can only be achieved as a chatbot implemented to the single digital gateway. While it is possible to test multiple concepts of CRAT AI as a result, for wider adoptions within citizens' living environments, chatbots are not good enough. Number two, mobile devices need to be able to understand if a request is government-related 
or not internally and then direct the request to the government communication room service for processing. Without such internal intent processing and redirection to the government, it is almost impossible to implement the concept. Number three, hypothetical worst case scenario is that the virtual assistant has to be implemented as a phone app that can handle government-related requests. Number four, success of Krat AI does not rely only upon having a native language understanding virtual assistant on the phone. For Krat AI to happen, it is important for government technology architecture to enable AI-driven communication and access to data. This is covered in further topics in this paper related to event-driven microservice architecture and message rooms. What is the ecosystem of virtual assistants? It is important to keep in mind that the concept of Krat AI does not involve a single piece of software, a single phone app, or chatbot. While for a citizen, it may seem that they are in communication with the government through Krat AI, in reality, it is a whole ecosystem of virtual assistants, backend information systems, and chatbots that are able to exchange data between one another and cooperate. Once more, Crystal has provided us with an image here. And um, again, please have a look in the description below for a link to that image. What this means is that the communication channel virtual assistant itself and the government ecosystem itself need to be decoupled from one another, but understand commonly agreed upon principles and standards. It should not matter to virtual assistant if you contact them through SMS, email, or through voice over the mobile device. Multiple standards need to be in place to enable this ecosystem. One, virtual assistants, chatbots, and information systems need to be loosely coupled and their data exchange needs to happen in message environments within the ecosystem. What this means is that no chatbot needs to make direct requests to another instance of another chatbot or information system. Instead, Communication needs to happen in technical message rooms. This concept is covered in later sections of this paper. Number two, ecosystem needs to be supported by commonly used and possibly publicly shared knowledge bases and classification systems in order for different systems to understand each other in the same way. Implementation of core public service vocabulary is likely required. Number three, well-handled lemmatization is required in order to group together and interpret correctly the different use of words and language by the end user. Number four, well-defined API communication standards need to be in place for communication between information systems and chatbots and virtual assistants. This standard needs to be as loose as possible in order to assure long-term maintainability and tackle issues of backwards compatibility if different assistants evolve over time. 
Number five, virtual assistant APIs should be as open and easily accessible as possible. Open API approach is recommended. Open air should be considered without reinventing the wheel. Number six, communication between citizen and virtual assistant needs to be as simple as possible. No complex forms and no complex interaction. This is important to make sure a virtual assistant is able to work through email, chat, voice, or SMS messages. For complex interaction, it would still be needed to redirect the citizen to separate websites and web forms. What is My Data and Digital Twin? While virtual assistants are a complicated challenge in their own right, in order to make virtual assistants effective, it is also important to handle the issue of citizen data and citizen identity. This is especially important in light of general data protection regulation in Europe that gives more defined control over data to the citizen. Estonia uses various forms of electronic identification which are used to assure trusted access to digital services for citizens up to the level of democratic elections and signatures. Digital identity is the very core of Estonian government digitization strategy and should be one of the first foundations to establish before implementing many of the solutions recommended by this paper. When it comes to the concept of digital twin, existence of trusted digital identity is essential. While Estonia has tackled the concept of citizens being owners of their own data, this data is stored today on government servers and the only overview citizens have regarding its use is what the government itself reports through various automated tools. With Krat AI, it would be possible to enhance control over citizens' data further. Krat AI acts as a virtual assistant, but in many ways, it can also act as a vault or guard for my data. Having more direct control over what citizen preferences are in terms of government communication, data exchange, getting notifications when private data is being accessed, and more. Crystal, once again, has provided us with a rather large image here describing what, was, was, what he was just talking about a moment ago. And again, a link can be found in the description below. And while this is a challenge for technology, it is also a legal challenge. Multiple issues need to be investigated. One, government needs to assure that the citizen is unable to make an unintentional mistake, such as deletion of diplomas. If data is stored in a vault locked by private key, management of this key and security of it becomes critical. This could be encrypted by digital identity. Number two, cybersecurity and also quantum computing is a risk especially if control over data is closer to the citizen and thus further from government-controlled databases. It is important to make sure that the tools used by the citizen do not compromise citizen status and freedoms in any way. Number three, how does the concept of consent services apply to digital twins and my data? 
Estonia is in the process of implementing a government-wide consent service tool paired with its digital identity today, but this primarily focuses on the government side of the problem. Number four, if at all possible, such solutions should not have to be developed by the public sector itself. Virtual assistants and digital twin solutions could ideally be provided by the private sector and the role of the government is to simply assure that communication backend is available. 3.2. Cross-border citizen experience. Many private sector companies are offering their services independently from the country you are visiting. For example, Uber and Bolt exist in multiple countries and citizens can use those services without having to do anything differently from what they experience in their own home, even though the services are functioning slightly different in other countries. If governments were building services that are more standardized to citizens' everyday environments, then it will also be possible to start offering a citizen experience independently from the country they're staying at, since the majority of services provided by the government are universal to all governments. Building on top of the flow of CRAT AI in previous example, the following flow would be possible between digital governments of multiple countries if citizens of one country is physically present in another country. Again, Crystal has provided us with an image and a link of that image can be found in the description. The chart is simplified as reality is far more complex and this can involve automated cooperation between multiple services within the government's backend, but processing within a single government is entirely in that of government's control. If a government does not wish to offer certain services cross-border, then they still have control over this just as they would without virtual assistance. While integrating services between multiple countries can be a difficult problem, virtual assistance can potentially make it more natural due to standardization of how user input is interpreted. In other words, governments can remain as complex as possible, but if we are able to standardize the way we understand citizen intent, then it will make it much easier to offer cross-border citizen experience. Certain things need to happen to make it work. One, governments that wish to start offering virtual assistant-based cross-border services need to agree upon a messaging standard to achieve semantic interoperability and establish technically a digital room or rooms where domain-specific messages are shared between governments. This room can be running on either government infrastructure. Number two, it is critical to separate the communication layer from intent detection and handling of set intent. While for a citizen, losing a passport is very similar regardless of the country they're visiting, governments themselves process this very differently in the background. Number three, multiple rooms can exist for this type of communication, including between different sets of governments and organizations, as well as the private sector. 
Number four, governments retain complete control over their own services. The only point of connection are the rooms where citizens' intents are shared as messages. Number five, unique user, citizen, or resident identification across borders is a major issue that needs a solution for maximizing the potential of cross-border services. EIDAS regulation in the EU should help in this area once its adoption is wider than it is today. It is important to point out that in any case, this should not complicate an already existing complexity of digital government services. If standardization of citizen communication does not carry the expected benefits of actually making government services better, then another alternative is required long term. Last but not least, a government could still, in theory, replace their whole digital government technology stack system by system as long as they still understand messages published in such rooms. This allows for a lot of flexibility, which is especially important for international interoperability. 3.3. Fallback Routine It is important that the digital government does not create a new kind of tight coupling with the use of a virtual assistant. It is paramount that should virtual assistants fail, there must always be a fallback routine in place. This is important to make sure that the digital divide is not further increased and that government services do not become a new single point of failure. Concept of a single digital gateway, aforementioned EST.EE in Estonia, is not going to be replaced anytime soon as there needs to always remain a single trusted and verifiable source of truth for the citizen regardless of how many virtual assistants and other solutions they use. If all else fails, the digital government needs to have a backup. The proposed fallback for citizen experience is as follows. Querying virtual assistants on your phone or tablet to solve the problem, and if it fails, using everyday search engines that directs you to single digital gateway to solve the problem, and if that fails, visiting single digital gateway web portal and using its chatbot to solve the problem, and if that fails, visiting single digital gateway web portal and using its internal search functionality, and if that fails, visiting single digital gateway web portal and browsing its categories and hierarchy to find a solution, and lastly, if that fails, calling the government or walking to the government office. Similar approach should exist for bilateral communication between citizens and the government, including when government needs information from the citizen. Government attempts to contact the citizen over their phone virtual assistant, and if that fails, government sends a message in citizen-preferred protocol such as email, SMS, online messengers that the government can support, and if all of the above fails, then the government sends a message to an internal inbox 
and single digital gateway. And if that fails, government calls the citizen or visits their physical address if required. Having fallback options is also important for two further reasons. For one, security. Both when one of the communication channels is under risk or when there is a need to validate data from two different sources. Another reason is the digital divide or inability to access digital services. There needs to be an alternative in its most basic minimal form for most critical government services, even without a computer device. 3.4 Key Takeaways Virtual assistants are the future, but their capabilities today are barely minimal. Able to set alarms or calendar notes or remind you to buy milk. A lot of things need to happen to realize the original story proposed at the beginning of this paper. But just because the road is complicated does not mean that progress towards the goal cannot be made. It is also a mammoth topic to implement in full scope from the beginning. As such, it is important to do it step by step and learning from mistakes along the way. Crystal has provided us with uh, an image describing these steps. A link for that image can be found in the description below. It is important for governments to cooperate with the private sector and vendors of mobile phones, as well as voice-enabled IoT devices and related software to support not only domestic languages of your citizens, but to also integrate hooks with government services. What is really important is that the voice-enabled device understands the language and then understands the intent of the citizen. If this intent is government-related, then it should be forwarded to government services that are able to ask further questions from the citizen. At the same time, Laying groundwork for virtual assistance does not require mobile phones and other devices to understand domestic languages. Chatbots can already be used and piloted today in government services and those chatbots themselves should have hooks to back-end services that can be reacted to by other government services. The most important thing is to start moving. Integrating artificial intelligence-enabled communication bots is a first step on a road to provide next-generation citizen experience. And here ends part one of the spicy reading of the Crystal VAR Next Generation Digital Government Architecture Vision Paper. We're actually about halfway through the paper, around page 62, and it's been a mouthful. It's definitely tested my reading and speaking abilities, but I hope you find it helpful. I'll soon be publishing part two, and I hope that you'll also find that helpful. So thank you for listening, and as usual, please leave a rating or a comment on how to make the podcast better, or if there's any guests or any stories that you'd like to hear. So until next time, let's make it open.